Anime is a vast and varied medium, and if you're not already familiar, it can be daunting to find something you might be interested in watching. This is a podcast where three average anime enjoyers introduce their uninitiated co-host to their favorite anime touchstones, so he can join them deep in the weeds. We watched The Big O. The English language version premiered April 2001 in its edited form on the Cartoon Network, once during the afternoon Toonami programming block and once during Toonami Midnight Run. In anticipation of the premiere of The Big O Season 2, the first 13 episodes were re-aired completely uncut on the Adult Swim block. The story takes place 40 years after a mysterious occurrence causes the residents of Paradigm City to lose their memories. The series follows Roger Smith, Paradigm City's top negotiator. He provides this much-needed service with the help of a robot named R. Dorothy Wainwright and his butler Norman Berg. When the need arises, Roger calls upon Big O, a giant mecha relic from the city's past. The television series was designed as a tribute to Japanese and Western shows from the 60s and 70s. The series is presented in the style of film noir and combines themes of detective fiction and mecha anime. The set pieces are reminiscent of Tokatsu productions of the 1950s and 60s, particularly Toho's kaiju movies, and the score is an eclectic mix of styles and musical homages. It's showtime! We watched four episodes. Episodes one, three, six, and seven. I think if we ever get big enough, I demand we build a super robo and name it Big Weeb. <laughs> that I would mean, take a, a lot of Patreon money. Oh yeah. What's up, Nick? <laughs> <laughs> um, I. Go on. Yes. I this. This is a show where I have, like, no idea to begin with it, except for thinking just, like, man, this animation studio really did work on a whole lot of episodes of Batman the Animated Series and then thought, yeah, we could do something like that. Yeah, that is very true, and it did. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, like, it's, you can, I mean, even even for anyone who had not known that little factoid, it's, like, looking at you, it's like, at the very least, they really, really liked Batman the Animated Series. And if I may be so bold as much as I love BTAS, no. I was to say I Batman Brave and Bold is better. different. And, and that's... <laughs> I was considering saving it to the end, but for me, the art was... Mm, interesting? It's very it's stylized. Very, very stylized, yeah. His that's very... Ooh, so I like flat. that. Very stylized. It's it's stylized, but and it, it is definitely like stylized in that Batman way of like everything is gritty, everything is like angular, mashing of styles. The way that you have like the people living in the domes on top of the people living in the slums, and and they feel unique and disparate, but at the same time, like realistically meshed together the way like like i grew up in uh queens in the city and like you absolutely get one block is something that was built you know decades ago and the next block is something that went up you know a couple of weeks ago or whatever and it's just like oh yeah no this it it do be like this 
Mm-hmm. Oh, I, I believe it. I know these are apples and oranges for what it's worth, but I remember growing up in Lansing, Michigan. The further you got downtown, the, the clearer in the surrounding area of downtown, the clearer, like, there's an economic disparity and shows. And there are blocks that are beautiful and pristine, and then there are blocks that have been abandoned to time and the elements. And this really captures that well. So, um, a lot of the anime we've seen so far has been specifically adaptations of a manga series that already existed. This one specifically was not. It was um, Keiichi Sato who came up with the concept. Um, he specifically admits that it started as a gimmick for a toy. Like, the idea was to build it specifically to, to sell toys. Um um, but uh, Bandai didn't quite see the same potential for that with what they came to them with. Um, so it was adapted a little more. Um, and they added more robots and stuff. Um, but like his main concept was just, you know, the giant robots piloted by a man in black in a Gotham-like environment. And that was put on hold for a bit while they worked on other stuff and then they went back to it. Yeah, I remember seeing, like, um, there was a manga that came out, like, months, a few months before the series premiered. Yeah. But, yeah, all the in, all the historical indications back that up. It's like, this was clearly meant to be a toy, toy-selling toy anime, not mm-hmm. a manga. It's just like, eh, we already have the material, let's do one, and, oh, okay, now we're ready to do the other, let's go. That doesn't sound American at all. <laughs> I.e. He-Man. <laughs> Yeah, and then the the writer they brought on, um, Chiaki Konaka, was uh, went on to work on Serial Experiments Lane and uh, Helsing, among the more notable titles that other anime weebs may know. Um, yeah, those are my favorites. <laughs> <laughs> um, but then he brought the idea of the town without a memory, and then they like built the story as just kind of playing in that space. You know, I feel like. I don't recall seeing it any kind of historical uh, documentation for the series and its creation, but I really feel like the creators just watched a bunch of noir and decided, you know, if there's always these lines of the city that doesn't remember or the city that doesn't sleep, and like, no, no, but what if the city didn't remember? <laughs> and this is where, like, I'm I'm a sucker for noir. That was like the big hook for me. Mm-hmm. Just it kind of just sunk in was like oh yes literally the entire population of the city has no clue what happened if you are you know 40 years or or past 40 years and if you're over 40 guess what there's a hard cut off in your memory yeah it's wild to think about i yeah, actually that... i a something that i thought definitely way harder on this watch than when i originally watched the show is like the the central theme that they do say out loud a couple of times, just straight up. But the the central theme of just like, do you need memories in order to live in the now? Right. Mm-hmm. Like, and and it's really interesting that like they do a really good job of keeping everything centered on that theme. Like, it really is a central theme uh, of just being like, yeah, like more than there's so much these days that love to just like 
give you every piece of a story. I'm looking at you, uh, solo a Star Wars story. Mm-hmm. Guilty as charged. But, like, this show is set up thematically to say, like, no, this is, like, everything that happens in this show is sort of in the middle of something. It is about the now. It is about the present. And the idea that, like, no, nobody remembers, you know, for past 40 years ago is just, like, yeah, everyone is just accepting that and living. And that is just, like, and then, you know, fighting with the idea of just, like, hey, everything before that is, you know. Can can we like like it wants to ask the question, can we live without like addressing it and looking for it? Because like some of that stuff is gonna bite you in the ass. Like that's every pretty much everything the big O fights is something from the past. Um and it also just leads to this uh moment where when they say memories, they might as well be saying getter beams because like a memory is just this magical thing that somehow causes a wild thing to be happening right now. Yeah. I was going to bring that up. Like, I feel like when they say memories, it's just like any information from the past, like, or any physical relic blueprints or relics or like just concepts. To your point, Nick, I want to even say that I did a little, I was doing some additional research a couple hours before we started this. And because I spoiler, Bob, there's a second season of Big O that, <clears throat> um, that I do know. <laughs> and I, there, there is something I don't, I won't go into it too much, but the direction of season two of Big O really kind of dials it up to 11 and not the best way. You, you can see there was an intent, but overall season two was greenlit because of how well it did in the US mm-hmm. and the creator was worked with Toonami specifically uh, they got their funding they said we want you to do season 2 but we have two caveats one of those being you have to explain the mystery of what happened and the creator has gone on the record saying I never even before that I never intended to ever have there be an explanation. And even with the explanation, and I'm going to put that word in quotes, that is provided in season two, boy, is there not one. (laughs) Hmm. And because I, rewatching this made me go through the rabbit hole. I'm going to tell you right now. And I had, it was... It was Yu Yu Hakusho all over again. So I'm just gonna watch the whole series. <laughs> or no, I'm sorry, Yu Yu Hakusho, Jigun. I mean, I'm still watching Yu Yu Hakusho, but it's like Jigun and all over again. It's like we've got X amount of episodes, and we're gonna knock these out, and it's much faster too. So I watched them all, and I remember looking at them like I see where they're going, and I'm not gonna mention who I really when I say who, what other very well known anime that may or may not show up later this season. They are trying to kind of crib the direction off of to answer these questions, it, it go about answering it, not necessarily a one for one, but kind of use plays from their playbook. And it wasn't the best. And you're still talking it, about season two specifically, right? Yes, I'm still okay. talking about season two. And it, it wasn't the best, but it had a lot of potential. And this is going to be me getting it out of the way early. Much, much in the vein of Brotherhood or Stampede, Big O really needs, I think, really 
warrants the reboot treatment to get the love and attention it deserves, because I think it could have been, it was a lot of great potential that fell flat in the end. And I think it could be magnificent if they gave it that extra time and attention. Yeah, I think this is an anime that's not a lot of people's, like, I would love to see a remake or reboot of it. Keep the style. I was going to say, be very careful, because that is asking for the monkey paw <laughs> of Netflix live-action remake of yeah. The Big O. Uh-huh. I, listen, as big of a as big of a contrarian as I was when I saw Stampede's redesign for Vash and everything, I gotta admit the change in style helped. The only way I would support a change in style of this is if it leaned further into the noir esque Batman TAS uh, of like dark gray tones, uh, dark harder moves, shadows, more black. Yes, these shadows are so hard you'll cut your lip on them. Um, but I mean, I don't, I do not want to see like any kind of like, oh, we're going to throw a bunch of neon lights on that and call it gold. I'm like, no, 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 no. no. <laughs> well, I was going to say lean the other way and do it live action, but the big O is just a dude in a rubber suit. Like go full on Megazord oh, style oh. tokusatsu, shoot it like a kaiju film. Cause like that was the other thing that really struck me is the last time I saw yeah. the series was before I had seen like original Godzilla was before anything <clears throat> like Pacific Rim that sort of made me say, Hey, where are the splits between like giant robots and kaiju and, and all of these genres? And like this show is in a lot of ways more of a kaiju show than a mecha show. Mm hmm. Mm-hmm. It's definitely, I mean, its inspirations are clear. It's definitely borrowing a lot from Super Robo series. Yeah. Uh, in its visual presentation and a few of the elements in it. But you're absolutely right. Like, there's absolutely the tokusatsu and, and the giant monsters, giant rubbery monsters on strings. And I, I'm here for it because it does it so well. Speaking of Super Robo. The first season of Big O is featured on Super Robot Wars D for the Game Boy Advance in 2003. The series, including its second season, is also featured in Super Robot Wars Z, released in 2008. The Big O became a mainstay of the Z games, appearing in each entry of the subseries. Good job on its popularity. Giant robots. Big O really has that kind of genuine still remaining underground cult favorite it it doesn't has never really what i would say truly been popular but it has that gen that genuine this is a cult classic for a reason it has an underground following for a reason mm. and it's it really solidifies what that means to be one of those in my opinion I think it I think it manages to draw a lot more respect than it does fans. Like I think a lot of people mm, know yes. about it but like no, not that many people are like frothing at the mouth for it but a lot of people look at it and go like yo they made something incredible here. Um and the only other thing I would really say like before we start talking about the individual episodes is um I am very much like partly because of the way season 2 was funded and all of that like I definitely think like Big O season two, I just think of that like a different show. Like I think Big O season one <clears throat> is Big O. Um kind of the way that like uh not that long ago they did more fooly cooly. Oh Sorry, yeah. What? Don't worry about it, we'll get there. Don't worry about that. Don't 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 remember that name. Um but but like it, it's exactly that thing where it's just like 
season two of Big O, I, I think it was exactly that thing where it's just like it it was sort of not like Big O season one was a product and it was done and it is fantastic as is. And then somebody was like, but we need to keep going. And that was season two. So in my mind, I just like put it aside. So, so like for me, definitely like for the rest of this episode, when we're talking about the big O, I'm kind of just talking about season one. Like, yeah, I think the fan base for it too, kind of acknowledges like the, despite the direct continuity carryover from the last episode of season one to the first episode of season two, there's a, I say a lot, there's, it really seems to be like a 50% divide of people who just accept it as it is, or people say, it certainly was a product dressed in the guise of Big O. Mm. Uh, yeah, let's, let's get into talking about the episodes. Bob, you want to let us know what you thought? Episode one. Yeah. Uh, So episode one introduces us to Roger, uh, as the title states. And that he's a negotiator. <laughs> you mean Spike Spiegel? <sighs> anyway. <laughs> um, yes, he's voiced by Steve Blum in the I love all the voice acting in this. Yeah, this is another really good dub. It, man, I'll give it that. It, it's definitely... Uh, I like the voice actors of it. Uh, anyway, uh, we are introduced to Roger. He's being hired to find the daughter of one of the people of the town. Uh, Dad's name, I had to remind myself, is Miguel. And through, you know, detective work, quote-unquote, he finds Dorothy to get his money, and Dorothy ends up being a very obvious android. He tries to get away, but he gets attacked because it ends up being a trap. He's driving away, and he loses his money. Uh... Later on, uh, he goes back to the place, uh, finds out that the dad is dying in a warehouse, goes into another trap. Bad guys come along. Uh, Fortunately, Dorothy's there being a robot. Uh, And then there's another Dorothy, this one being, and I need your guys' help on this because I watched the dubbed, not the subbed, and this is just a question I had the entire time, and me being lazy, I'll just ask you guys. Is Megadeuce translated <laughs> to something that I don't know? Okay, so this is Mega Deus. So Deus Latin God. Mega can also be Latinized or translated from Latin to mean also big. So big God. They couldn't have gone with something else. No. Stylized, Bob. Stylized. <laughs> and they thought they, could, can't make they, thought they could sell Megadeuces as toys to children. Megadeuce. Even, even back in the 2000s, early 2000s, like, make it do something. I'm sorry, he's taking a what? Uh-huh. So, like, they do... I know I fast-forwarded through a lot, but it's kind of, there was a lot of movement, I guess, action. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I feel like this is a point that I want to bring up now. I personally, me, not representing anyone else, did not like the art of not action. Okay. Hmm. Because we get to see Big Can I ask Bad. You to clarify real quick, when you yes. say not action, you mean you didn't like uh, the art it, style when they were not engaging in some kind of in, in met battles? Correct. Okay. Correct. Just want to make sure I got uh, you. It, I the only comparison I can think of right now is maybe a lot of our audience and maybe some of you have played Ace Right or Ace Phoenix 
the uh, Phoenix attorney. attorney. Thank you. Yeah. I don't care for the hard line drawing. I get you. Okay. Yeah. A lot of like like clean, sharp edges on everything. Correct. And hearing you guys talk at the beginning, I'm like, uh, unpopular opinion. (laughs) I mean, to be fair, as much as I love Batman TAS, your point is valid. They they did initially their models look stiff and rigid, but when you see them in movement, they bend. They have curves in an occasion. It's not stiff, rigid lines. So that's a valid opinion. And gone, we get to meet the big Dorothy, who's piloted by the big bad. Uh, oh, let me look up Beck. Beck, yeah. Correct. Uh, and Beck ends up, you know, tearing up the town because that's kind of how it goes with big Megazord shows. I did watch yeah, the Power he's, Rangers. He's trying to steal the printing plates from the, the Federal Bureau. And why? To make money. But does yeah. it matter? We we loop around to this in later episodes, but does it matter? I I, I see your point, but crime. <laughs> it okay. is a familiar crime to invest your audience with. I think the bigger crime is destroying all the buildings. I mean, you're not wrong. I mean, yeah, they're they're also mad about that. <laughs> and yeah, Dawson has some feelings yeah. on that. Uh, art style to me, when I watch it, seems such a difference. To when we're in the intimate moments, mm-hmm. and I actually feel like it's more fluid during the action than mm-hmm. the intimate. Mm-hmm. That's not to say that it's bad or that it's not someone's taste. Later yeah. episodes that we watched, I there are parts I enjoy, but it's just very yeah. It's definitely oh. leaning into the the noir spy stylization of having very strong lines, um, strong angles. There's a lot of like. Dutch and stuff, and I um, call it the thick marker. Extreme mm. perspective. I guess I should clarify too, is since we're talking about the style, I like the visual style. The character design itself, it, it definitely has that. I respect it for nostalgia's sake, but I won't lie; it could be improved upon and made less brickish. Considering too how noir typically looks so dirty and people can characters not people in general but characters can look unkempt the fact that everything was so rigid is a little jarring but let me say it's not that it's bad it's just not for me no i get that and i'm I'm saying i understand where you're coming from because i can see it and i wanted to clarify it just like I'm not giving it a blanket pass just because i like the backgrounds i think they looked better than uh btas Oh, and for me, it's it's the reverse. There's less. I mean, in the early seasons of Batman, mm-hmm. it was a little more subdued as opposed to the more current seasons, where it almost felt like they just tried to save money with the way they made it. No, I get you. Anyway, back to the show. Uh, Roger presses a button on his watch and screams out, "Big O!" To summon his, you know, big O, a robot with pistons for elbows. And actually, I do appreciate that. For whatever reason, <laughs> that seems realistic to me. The way he swings I, those things around the side, it's like, it's so I can see cool. this. Yeah, and like, again, in comparison to uh, shows we've seen previously, 
Um, these robots are very much more like realistic steampunk. Yeah, like you, the, all the rivets and stuff are visible. Like it's not like uh smooth, clean lines. It's it's very like big, and they move kind of clunky, and it's mm-hmm. like the robots have can... a verisimilitude, if you will. Sure, it's, it's the Star Trek versus Star Wars aesthetics. Star Trek is very clean, very. You know, no seams, no bolts, whereas Star Wars has very much a lived-in and purpose-made feel to it. Mm-hmm. it it's and it, it's interesting that, that you call out um, steampunk, because I was going to say that, like, for a world where most of the design is either, like, kind of futuristic, people living in domes, and, you know, uh, just, like, android and a lot of that stuff going on, or mm-hmm. it is the people living in like our modern era buildings still and that's basically the slums and grime uh or then suddenly this robot to show up and being like kind of very steampunk inspired in the way that like yeah like if you told me that big o was powered by just like a giant coal burning boiler i would absolutely believe Uh it there's something about that design that is just kind of doesn't fit you know yeah, to piggyback, I won't lie, watching this now as opposed to way back when, Bob, you're, you nailed it on the head because there's times in my mind I just could hear the the big O or the other, and you're watching the whole series, other mechs just go choo-choo. <laughs> and it wouldn't have felt out of place to me at the same time. Like, huh, that's interesting. So, yeah, no, you nailed that one. But there's the mech battle, and it ends with Dorothy... Kind of imitating Dorothy a little bit with uh, the police chief, whose name eludes me, or general, yeah, going running out to save her. And I will admit I did watch, like, the first five minutes of episode two to see what happened. (laughs) It does have that lovely uh, cliffhanger ending that just, it fits that kind of noir-esque of, oh, they're about ready to die, and, and yet also fits so many other, any other genre of, they're about ready to die, but it just works because of that dramatic posing, mimicking mm-hmm. the death f- uh, form of Big Dorothy, who, I've been introducing a family member recently to Simpsons and Futurama, all I could hear was the Crushinator every time I saw <laughs> the giant Dorothy. I'm like, oh no. But yeah, that that kind of mimicry it implies so many things and makes you ask so many questions. Mm. It's so well done on a visual level. Overall, I didn't mind it. I guess once again, it's hard for me with clashes of styles mm-hmm. because my mind wants to see that continuation, and when there's the break, I'm like, oh. It's a second to catch up, and it shouldn't be there, but it's the way I watch. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, I want your opinion, because we've, okay. we've dealt with androids and other media, Bob. Mm-hmm. One I know you're most familiar with is Mr. Data from TNG. What did you think of when Dawson tried to move Dorothy? That was very realistic. That was hilarious. Mm-hmm. I, I love those moments. Mm-hmm. I loved that it, it, when she early in that same episode. Like, you could try to move me, but I believe you will find it incredibly difficult to do so. 
and then we get the payoff on it's incredibly difficult to do so. <laughs> Chekhov's hand, heavy android girl. <laughs> She's mm-hmm. very heavy. <laughs> and her, her quote-unquote father, which uh, I know you said Miguel, but I had it in my notes as something else. Um, well, his, his last name is... Uh... And I must, I admit, I must have missed him when they called him Miguel. I'm like, that's fine. They kept referring to him to Soldano. It's Soldano. But when they find, when they first introduce you to Soldano, I love that. It's like, the, the reveal that is necessary for the series to progress is, what do you mean that's not my daughter? That's a, that's a, not her at all. That's a cheap knockoff. And then you find out, oh yeah, he funded her, not necessarily built her. But then when we find him in the warehouse dying, oh, I see my daughter, Dorothy, you're back. That is a very noir-esque kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And I love it, but at the same time, there's the, the mystery hunter in me. I'm like, no, don't do that. I need to, I need to understand why you said this. Tell me now. Mm-hmm. Uh, because he was dying and his eyeballs weren't working well. Oh, yeah. The, the logician in my brain, the logician part of it absolutely said, no, no, this is why. And, and then the narrative uh, nerd in me just like, no, shut up. That's not what's happening. Uh. I just want to know that if it's Dorothy 1 and 2... Does that mean that they were based on, like, built off of the same blueprint? And if so, how do you mess up one of them so bad that you get so these wi- two different wildly? I've wondered. Oh, you know, measurements. It mm-hmm. happens. Hear put me a out, point in the wrong place. Look at modern <laughs> computers compared to their prehistoric counterparts. Technological prehistoric counterparts. Mm-hmm. The old Turing machine. I don't think you're fitting that in your house easily, buddy. Okay, but that does imply that our Dorothy has uh, some sort of tentacle manipulators that she could send out and be using at will. Well, this is the most appropriate stream I've ever, or stream, <laughs> podcast I've ever had to operate an uh, opportunity to say this on. I've seen enough anime. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Are you saying that's a... Uh... The plot of one of the Dogens. Okay. I, let's be <laughs> honest. I'm not aware of them, but I'm going to say, let's be honest. There absolutely is one out there, at least one that, yes, that's a thing, I'm sure. So that's our introductory episode. Uh, we skipped season two, or not season, we skipped <laughs> season two. We skipped that was season two. two. Um, and we moved to episode three, Electric City. Um, mysterious power outages have been happening all over the city, and Roger is hired by Casey Jenkins to convince the people that it isn't the work of some angry god so he can reactivate the hydroelectric plant. Because there's a bunch of people there like, no, we can't turn it on! <laughs> god will be angry! I love that Seedramon from Digimon made a guest appearance in this. <laughs> <laughs> Only a temporary one, though. Mm-hmm. So the episode starts with, from what I remember, a piano playing. And it sounds really pretty. Mm-hmm. It's classical music. And for whatever reason, Roger really doesn't like it. Probably because he had to wake up. Um, 
goes down to yell at uh, Dorothy for playing music very robotically. Well, I, I think it's because she's me. playing it like double or triple time or something. And this particular episode. It's one of those things where it's like, it's technically correct, but it doesn't have any perfect. soul. Yeah. But we don't learn about that till later. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But it's like, well, I didn't realize. He touches on it. But he seems like a, ro- or a music snob. And I don't know. He doesn't seem like a snobbish person. I think it was you... the fact that it was, um, it was loud and kind of a, and, um, and she did it on purpose. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Because yes, no, no she should have breakfast. So, they sit down to have breakfast, and even though she says they're cold, he makes no reference to it. Uh, they're eating. He's talking to her, telling her how she's a robot. And the power goes out. And I guess to prove his point, she turns on a light out of her head. Mm-hmm. Which just makes him angry. It's because she opens the headband on her head and it is a CD-ROM drive. Mm-hmm. I and thought that was just like the little circle for a light, really? It's a, nope, it's a, that was oh, a CD-ROM nope. drive. Nope. It's used in later episodes. It's absolutely a CD-ROM drive. It also shoots out light, apparently. Uh-huh. Well, she's got like, you know, she's got those like RBG fans inside of her case, <laughs> by which I mean her skull. She's got a skull mm-hmm. case. Hmm. She was the original gamer laptop wife. <laughs> yeah, I, l- listen, I have a question about that, and we're saving it for the end when we do all our other rankings. Okay. okay. Um, so, as the power goes out and she's showing off her hole in the head, along comes the butler, whose name eludes me because they, I don't really Norman. They ever, Norman, thank you. It's a very along normal comes, name. So, along comes Norman the butler. Let's him know that he let someone in, and Roger gets upset. Like, how come you didn't let me know that someone was being announced? And then that never gets addressed again. Probably because it's some pretty lady who comes in, and she's from the power company, is what she says, and needs to figure out why all the power went out, which seems like that would be her job, not the negotiators, but they need a negotiator to go there to turn the power back on. That's his job. So, like, this show loves to not speak clearly and like have a lot of moments where like characters are understanding things that are being said through like metaphor or euphemism or something like that. So I think what's actually going on there is she says she's from the power plant and she's mm-hmm. just like, do you even know where our power comes from? And he's just like, no. So I guess I'll do whatever you're asking of me. But it, it is a thing about, um, the power plant she sends him to, they want to, like, it is been out of service for a long time, and they want to, uh, like, bring it up and get it back into use because the drain on the city is, is increasing, and they're just like, yeah, no, we need to just bring another power station online. Here's an old disbanded one. Go see who you gotta get out of the Negotiate way. Negotiate with. Yeah, to... to, to Get them so to... was it that the power went out, so he had to go and figure out how to turn the power back on? I think or adding to the power. More or less. I th- I think the power is going out just because of like general strain it's, on the system. Yeah, it's it's been flickering all over the city just as it reaches it's reached its kind of max capacity. Yeah, like this could be the argument for why memory should be important because 
Maybe they could figure out how to repair it or remember how the system used to work. But instead, they've been going off the fact it work, mm-hmm. and now they're suffering the consequences of it work until it not work. Which either way would explain why when Roger gets there, there's a chain on the door to the electric power plant, which took him a minute to figure out where that was at anyway, because he's not seen one. Uh, He goes to inspect the padlock chain and has a gun pointed into his back. Mm -hmm. And so these, I wouldn't say hillbillies, because that's mean, but these people who are protecting the electric god... Uh, because they don't want him to destroy them, uh, take him and lead him away. And eventually he comes across the main one, the guy who lives on top of a mountain cliff, because that's safe. And he ends up being just this really chill guy because Roger made him breakfast. I, I don't know how that works out. Well, he did help Roger with his being awake problem with the butt of a gun. Uh, that's Oh, that's right. He got knocked out. He's looking downstairs, says, I got upset when people knocked me out, and he gets knocked out. That is that is the line. It's a little annoying. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the old guy tells him uh, they become friends. He goes out to chop wood, and Roger, being the good guy he is, starts inspecting his house. Because he heard a weird knock when he was walking over it. Uh, Goes down the stairs, sees your computers. And then, actually kind of cool looking lightning comes shooting out everywhere. Because someone tries to turn the power back on. That they've been trying to keep off to not bring back the electric god of evil. Uh, Roger comes running up because old man hillbilly's like, What are you doing? Why are you turning it back on? Someone turned it on! Uh, Roger explains it's not him, but he's going to try and figure it out if the old man tells him where to go. Uh, He ends up going underground and running into, who knew, a power plant lady who wasn't a power plant lady all along. (gasps) What do you mean? Casey (laughs) Jenkins isn't your real name. (laughs) Thank goodness, talk about a weird name. No, (laughs) it's Fujiko Mine. (laughs) I'm sorry, what? Two. Uh, anyway, she's <laughs> she's Angel, uh, and she just wanted to restore the power. At this point, I don't hate her. She's just doing her job, working for, you know, the government, as she says. And she just kind of wants to make sure power's still going. And Roger's like, no, you've got to... Uh, Come with me, because we're going to figure out what's going on with the electricity. And they go outside, and that's when we see, you guys called him a Digimon, I call him a weird poop snake with four red dots. Although, don't take that as an insult, I actually really like this monster. That was clearly Nessie. This is all in Scotland. I I do think it is specifically a gigantic electric eel. Which, mm-hmm. um, it is. if anybody has ever seen Reptilicus, uh, uh-huh. they would recognize it. <laughs> okay, uh-huh. yeah. <laughs> so this thing actually just eats electricity. Uh, 
and spits it out. Darn the electricity belief and all the sciences, it just sucks it up. Mm hmm. And spits it out. It's hungry for it. <laughs> Science. So, uh, Angel is like, screw you, I'm going to take my car and drive away, which actually makes sense. Meanwhile, Roger presses his watch, screams out, come to me, big O, which sounded horrible. Mm -hmm. uh, unfortunately, Norman's like, don't worry, I sent it to you. Even referencing before, I, it doesn't bug me how big O just randomly appears. No, that I think doesn't they bug use me. the subway tunnels to yeah, that's yeah. like a train or something move them around. Mm -hmm. I, I can. The city's I can supposed that. to be the city's supposed to be New York City. Yeah, it's um, definitely implied to be. Yeah, so you got all so, the subway tunnels. Um, Angel gets knocked out or tries to speed away. See, looks to her left and see. It. Speaking of, it just popped in my head. Do the Asian countries drive on the American side of the road? Uh, Japan drives on the opposite side. Okay. Because she looks out the left, which would put it... Doesn't she? The right. Does she look out the right? Okay. She, 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 she is driving American traditional. Because uh, uh, the electric eel spits its electricity on her and she gets shocked. Which no is one dies. silly because cars are specifically designed so yep. that... If they get hit by lightning or something, like it turns they aren't grounded. The ground. Yeah. To, to be fair, the car doesn't remember engineering history past forty years ago, <laughs> mm -hmm. so it doesn't know that. See now, if she was driving a diesel, diesels can continue to run without electric, so she could have just kept driving. I would also like to interject. I love that not only does she say uh, pull the whole Fujiko Mine up, huh? Trouble. Bye. Uh, <laughs> On her way out, she doubles, triples, and quadruples down. Hey, let's get a drink later if you live. Bye. <laughs> oh, yeah, I, like, oh, I, I, called her, I called her Faye Valentine because um, that's the voice actress. <laughs> mm -hmm. So she has trouble driving her electric vehicle because she got shocked and gets out of it and is about to get blasted by an electric eel. And along comes Big O and blocks the attack. Hooray! Uh, Big O. Yep. Big O's like... I'm done with you. Powers up for a big punch, swings in, and somehow this giant mouth electric eel opens it pretty wide and makes a force field that he can't punch through. It has an so AC I've field. Figured that out. It, yeah, I was say, it's got to be like an electromagnetic <laughs> field. It's magneto. Uh, yeah. If, if you run uh, electricity through a coil, it generates a magnetic field, and being made of metal, that would repulse the big O. Sure, why not? I agree. The, the big metal eel that definitely showed its metallic with the way it moved. Well, the, the serpent coiled, ran electricity through itself, <laughs> made an EM field. And then the electric eel starts spitting electricity over at Big O, mm -hmm. and Roger starts getting electrocuted. Yeah, then we see a, okay. an electric eel in a giant metal robot in the water is probably not the best idea. Bob, you know Pokemon better than me. Aren't metal type resistant to electric attacks? Uh, no. I think it's just regular damage. Oh, okay. Anyway. Off in the distance, we see the true savior of the story, Old Man Jenkins, who apparently, even though it hurts him to cut wood, he can climb up, like, ladders super well. In his... He is able to... 
his onesie ninja suit. His diving suit, to be fair. I, I consider sure his a rubber suit so he doesn't get electrocuted. Yeah. Mm. He did say, yes. like, he is one of the, like, scientists or whatever who worked on the dam in the past, so. And his picture was definitely in his basement where the giant tank that, you know, the monster surely didn't come from was. And while he's climbing this to get to the switches to turn off the electricity, somehow this electric eel turns its part snake on and tries just to eat Big O. Mm-hmm. And that Eels. has to be the weirdest image. Eels have very kind of my favorite. similar mouths to snakes. They can eat things. Do they? Uh, they got big jaws. Have I you seen a moray? Well, I mean, I, I guess I've never seen them try to open their mouth or eat a thing because eels aren't really in my wheelhouse of interests. Where's an eel going to find an egg to swallow whole? Yeah, to be fair, I I don't don't hear about divers getting swallowed whole. I mean, you can can get some roe, but that's, you know, you don't got to open your mouth that big for that. There's also eels that have smaller set of jaws inside their mouth that get sent forward. Okay. I think that's a different movie. I love that xenomorphs are just giant walking eels. <laughs> Old man makes it to the top of the cliff. It's a bunch of switches, because he's the only one who can do that, apparently. And the laser is turned on by Big O, because he's no longer being electrocuted, and Roger was done with it. And we see a actually very cool scene of Electric Eel getting its head blown off. Mm-hmm. I, once again, that really appealed to the kid in me. I'm like, oh. Yeah. Uh, he wins. He's like, take care of that. And I'm assuming with the way the ending is, power is restored. Uh, and we cut back to Dorothy and Roger. Dorothy playing the piano and stating she, of course, is a robot, but she does feel emotion. Or something to that effect, because Roger looks confused when she says that. Oh, he was like, why are you playing the blues? And she's like, even I can, I feel like it. I felt like it. (laughs) Yes. Sometimes I just feel like it. Uh Uh-oh. Uh-oh, she's feeling. Get the bat! (laughs) There's that scene from the sphere that plays through my mind. I would prefer it if Jerry didn't have any feelings being stuck down here for X amount of years. (laughs) It's like, uh (laughs) uh-oh. But I love, there's a detail regarding the laser, Bob, that I love. And that's, it's What's one that? of those, the, the, the addressing of it before you see it. Cause he taught, it's, it has a name, like all good attacks in anime do. It's called the Chrome Buster. And he, he mentions like, well, with all this electricity, I can't use the Chrome Buster. Well, the only attack I, that I recall that we've seen to this point from the big O was, it punched good. Mm-hmm. So as an audience member, your first thought is, okay, I guess it can't punch. But then the electricity goes down. He's like, oh, well, clearly he'll use Chrome Buster and therefore punch. No, just laser, laser Chrome Dome. <laughs> and I love it because it's it's so treated just as a matter of fact. Like, I, I know this, so there's no reason for me to reveal this to the audience. This is just me thinking out loud, clearly. And it mm-hmm. just felt good as the... 
you just have to assume it's going to be addressed at some point. I love those kind of moments in the show. I also love at the ending, one of those kind of moments, if you blink and you miss it, clearly Paradigm City had not been aware of the seal. That's why they took a genetic sample away. Don't worry about it. Mm-hmm. So, okay, a couple of things. Um, uh, there is a line when he's doing the voiceover at the end where he says he actually destroys the power plant before leaving off screen. Mm -hmm. So they don't actually address whether, you know, how they're going to improve the the power grid now because that's not an option anymore. Um, don't know why he needed to do that if he blew up the eel, um, but also, uh, uh, like you were saying, this idea of just, like, saying stuff without, um, like, introducing it to the uh, to the audience. Like, I do love that that's part of how it is, like, keeping its central theme centered. Because it is this idea of just, like, no, none of this is introductory. This is we are in the middle. We are living in the now. But there was another nod to that in the first episode where... Uh, when Big O first pops out of the ground, uh, das, Dasen is like, um, oh, no, not again. And we're just like, again? This is episode yeah. one. <laughs> I, I had meant to say that, but I got distracted. And, yes, I, there's there's so much of this. This world is clearly lived and things have happened before and they will continue to happen until, you know, until morale improves. <laughs> um, and it's just the, the feeling of a lived-in and a world with its own history, even if it doesn't go past 40 years is just really intriguing and it's really well done. Yeah. So, also, oh, oh, I was just going to say, I, I love that starting with this episode, we, as I've called her before, noted piano terrorist, our Dorothy Wainwright continues to terrorize Roger mm-hmm. with piano playing too good of piano playing. And as someone who, plays piano i just find it very amusing there was a um when the the sort of like the people who don't know what's going on are talking about the like the the river god or whatever the electricity god mm-hmm. so they do specifically call it a titan somewhere in there right somebody says the word yeah. titan um because i they say it now and they're going to say it again in a later episode but there is definitely like between calling them mega deus and calling them uh calling a lot of the monsters like titans there is an interesting like nobody remembers more than 40 years ago but we do remember like callback to to greek and latin for like hey if it's really really old that's how you know that it's like beyond our ken when it's old enough you know it's just like like oh no it's it's godlike we can't understand it all right we'll give it a name from you know four thousand years ago or whatever i don't know when those times were well depending on who you ask (laughs) Uh yeah uh but you know i i i won't claim to be a scholar of any kind but even going through my uh primary secondary and collegiate education I I really loved just studying maybe too strong, but just looking into the history and the mythology of like ancient Greece and ancient Rome. And like you said, it's it's very interesting. We keep coming to these references of the big gods and 
then there's Titans and the kind of air of mystery around these beings and how the way they're addressed feels very similar to how we as a culture and society look back and assume ancient the ancient Greeks and ancient Romans viewed the happenings of the world, the natural world around them. Well, cause it's also kind of like, um, isn't that one of the things in like 40 K is the idea that a lot of like all the technology they use is actually like really old technology that nobody remembers how to build. And so like uh-huh. you have techno priests because it's just like, okay, the only people who know how to do this, it's like the, this is technology we don't understand. So it's basically godlike. So, you know, um, it's just really amusing that the way this show is doing it is like, it's not, you know, you know, uh, millennia old and, you know, generations and whole civilizations have died out since it's, it's creation. It's just like, not nah, 40 years ago, but still it is this level of just like, oh, this is so far beyond what any of us understand now. This thing from four, like, okay, what is, what is technology that is 40 years old from today? Like a pager? A fax machine? A fax Yeah, like, what if we looked at fax machine and we're just like, oh, it's communication from the gods. Yeah. I mean, that that would scan. It's, I don't know. It's just funny to me that it's like, it, it is this, this sort of, like, well-worn trope of the old machines are our gods now, but just micro time scale of 40 years that's it mm-hmm. uh, the ancient the ancient pre-civilizations advanced technology ancient 40 years ago ancient looks at a 60 year old man mm-hmm. god is that you <laughs> it is the far-flung future two weeks from now gas is over a hundred dollars a gallon it's that moment when i realize i'm al- almost old enough to s- have exactly enough memories to start worrying about it in this world that they've built. Yeah. Listen here, that is me. And and leaning into the next episode, imagine you're sitting in your parents' bedroom, just minding your own business, I don't know why you're in your parents' bedroom, and the 8-track player comes on, and some 50s music starts playing and starts singing, Come on, baby, do the twist. <laughs> and you hadn't heard this song before. You had no idea what an eight track was. Would you think, "Ooh, this is nifty," or "Oh my goodness, there is a spirit in there," and it's informing me that I must tell everyone to do the twist to the babies? I mean, if we somehow lost the concept of music to time, that would be kind of impressive, honestly, just for how baked into humanity that is. I mean, well, remember, they lost all memories. I think, Arguably, I we're, think we're approaching something there very similar to this. Are different kinds of amnesia? Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, because it's that other part, right? Like, um, again, we'll get to it later. But like, there are some people who their you know capital M memories are just like things they remember how to make or build or like tools that they remember how to use. Like, which is like, um, I love it. Uh, it, it's like, um certain zombie uh lore interpretations where it's just like oh yeah no they go to the places they would have gone in life where it's just like yeah no they're like muscle memory information you know nick i I just want to preempt i'm so happy you caught the same thing i did and had the same feelings about it which one 
the thing, what you are referencing that we'll talk about later. Yes. Okay. Yes. <laughs> yeah. 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 Oh, makes me so happy. Um, do we have anything else for the, the electric city, electric eel exploding episode? <laughs> Other than that was my favorite part uh, of that episode. It's a good part. I, yeah, I really think this episode, part of the reason when we were selecting episodes, I had this on the short list when I showed it out to Nick and Joe was, I really just thought it was a good episode, but I really loved just eel fight. It, it trying the idea of it trying to eat the big O. And it does really play into, again, the feeling of, like, this isn't, like, just robot versus robot like we had in episode one. And mm-hmm. even, even then, like, every robot, like, the big O is, like, the most human-looking of all of the robots in the series, more or less. Like, everything else is is more sort of inhuman. And so to just push it and be like, no, this is just a giant eel. Have at it. Okay. It's like, nah, no, we're just, we, we kaiju now, straight up. It does also kind of show like the the level or reaffirms the level of technology that had to have existed before forty the forty year stop stop gap of memories mm-hmm. because it wasn't just a, a raw technological it was clearly on the genetic engineering level as well yeah and that has potential implications yeah and it came from that tank so they were probably like using it either yeah somehow in the process of running that dam <laughs> there was a thought too i had of that like that's a big enough tank that if it what if it wasn't just one eel because typically from what i have seen again in other depictions of media eels tend to share a tank that's so what uh, if there's more depends than, on the eel and if they're, Fair. like, fish and they only grow to the size of the container they're in, like, they won't grow bigger unless they have enough space to, um, it could have just been one that got out. Or if there were yeah. multiples, maybe it ate the other ones. And that's entirely possible. It's just, there's there's a part of my brain like, no, no, if they ever remake this, the episode comes back at the end, circles back and we just see a bunch more lights in the lake moving. <laughs> That's the only reason I could think of for why he would destroy the power plant before <sighs> going. It's just like, okay, just to make sure there, in case there are other eels, they're not going to come back here to, to eat this. Cause it's just going to be gone. And to be fair, for as intelligent as Roger is at no point, did he just identify this as a big mutated eel? Mm-hmm. His thoughts could have really been, ah, oh, this did summon a god. Kill it. Because it was it episode one, I think it was, or maybe it was in this episode. He mentions to someone, I'm not an atheist, but I forgot <laughs> how the rest of the went, implying that his mind is open to the concept. So maybe, you know, again, maybe it was poorly communicated in the, the dialogue and presentation of the episode, but maybe he did feel like, mm, we don't want to summon any more titans. Alright, then let's move on to episode 6, A Legacy of Amadeus. Uh, in this one, uh, Roger's finally fed up with Dorothy's wake-up alarms on the piano. And he takes her to a bar where there is another android who plays the piano there. And asks him to teach her. They live happily ever after. <laughs> Everything oh, wait. is fine. <laughs> Correct. <laughs> This is the episode that really um, demonstrates the law of cartoon robots. <laughs> mm, yes. 
uh, so the the law that says cartoon robots will make you cry. <laughs> uh, yes, I can see where that one point would, and we'll get there. Uh, the episode opens with, you know, as Joe mentioned, poor Rogers just sleeping because he likes to apparently sleep all day, uh, as a negotiator should, mm-hmm. and she's playing the piano. And to my ear, she's playing it beautifully, maybe a little fast, faster for my taste. But he gets really upset. Well, not really upset. He really gets annoyed. Grabs Dorothy and is like, we're going to go downtown, and we're going to go to Amadeus. It's at this point I realized with no one having memories, I think they just read that name in a book. They're like, oh, it's a piano player. And yes, although it's the name of a person, that's why it's the guy built the bar with a piano playing robot. Well, the, the, the guy was Amadeus, right? Yeah. 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 So his, his creator was Amadeus. He was a scientist who built this piano playing robot. Who, when you get there, you can tell he's not playing it like a robot, I guess. Hearing this comparison with him playing it versus hers playing earlier in the episode, you can tell that it's not as rigid. You can almost hear not miss keys, but the transitions. Mm-hmm. And she's like, he's not playing it right. He's like, just look at the rest of the patrons in this really sad, 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 sad bar. And all three patrons are just smiling with their eyes closed because they had fallen asleep. (laughs) Specifically, he's playing one of Chopin's Nocturnes. He's not even playing any Mozarts? No, I think Dorothy was. Missed opportunity. Yeah, I, I will say I don't think they were necessarily sleeping, but just enjoying the music. Oh, they were enjoying it. That was sarcasm yeah. on my part. <laughs> okay, I'm sorry. sorry. Good, good. <laughs> Very well done. I will praise good sarcasm and dry delivery every time. You got me, and I, I enjoy sarcasm. Sarcasm. So we are introduced to instro. Instro. Like they were almost going to call him instrument. But boy, we don't want to be that on the nose, so we will stop. Mm-hmm. Stop uh-huh. just short. Yep. Instro comes across as somehow more human, very more human than Dorothy. Mm-hmm. Uh, Roger's like, here, teach her how to play the piano. And Dorothy sits down and starts playing, and Instro's like, she plays just fine. And Roger's like, well, teach her to be more natural, I think is how he puts it. She's perfect, yes, but teach her to be good. Yes. It's it's exactly (laughs) what we were talking about before, the difference between technically correct and, like, the I-know-it-when-I-seen-it correct. Mm -hmm. While she's playing uh, In Comes, I believe I've heard a friend of mine put it as Spot the Protagonist, (laughs) or Spot the Antagonist, I guess, in this Mm -hmm. case. Uh, The... Uh, Mr. Wizard coming in uh, with scary hair and a top hat because nothing says evil like a top hat. Uh, in my Jeez. notes, in my notes, I just wrote down this man a vampire. Hey, hey, why him a vampire? And here, <laughs> okay, I, I will contribute my notes. At mad scientist, quote unquote, Yi Sang. Yi Sang. So he comes in. Oh, go ahead. Uh, the Doctor Wiley of this episode. Pretty much, evil like, Einstein. Of all the episodes that we watched, he was the most evil-looking. 
Mm-hmm. Yes. And and the next episode has some pretty evil looking people. Yes. But they they didn't look crazy like he does. He comes in introduced as Amadeus's lab partner, science partner. Yeah, former business colleague, yeah. And he's come to talk to Instro and is shocked that Instro isn't at the piano. Because, you know, the only Instro can play the piano. Mm-hmm. And they have a short chat, he goes off. And we transition to Roger and Dorothy going to see Instro at his house. Because he has a house. I'm assuming he lived with Amadeus, who's dead now. We did establish that Amadeus is dead. Yeah, there was a lab accident. Accident. Uh, (laughs) Uh, We go to uh, Instro's house, or Amadeus' house, uh... I feel like I'm jumping ahead, but it looks like it's been ransacked with a circle shot through a wall hitting his piano on the way. And, oh, go ahead. All I was going to say is in, in, or not in, Gisang does come back to say, don't you want to, don't you want to fulfill your father's purpose for you? Which is leading. And then they they come to his place, like you said. And, for the life of me, I can't figure out how that this is only the third episode I've seen, and I'm not saying that he is stupid by any means because he's a lot smarter than some of our protagonists. But he looks at it and says, Oh, someone used the sonar gun attack. And I'm just sitting here like, What? Oh, didn't uh he... what there was a scene where he goes talk to Datsun, right? Yeah, he has a chat with Datsun. Okay. Um... So I did skip that. That's right, because he was wondering how he heard that name. That's right. where we established their business partners with the corporation, yeah. which name's eluding me right now. Paradigm. A paradigm. You know, right. the, the corporation the city's named after. Yeah. Well, we bring up Paradigm a lot. Mm-hmm. Don't worry uh, about it. Uh, Dorothy, with all of her Nova motion, says, You must save Instro because he needs to teach me. Mm. Okay. If you save him, I will learn. I paid for the lessons. Pretty much. So Roger goes off to try and find Instro. And actually, coincidentally, happens to run into Instro. Oh, does he run into the doctor first? Well, they, they, oh, he runs they into go Instro to first. Instro's dad's house with a much and, bigger hole in it. And that was caused by a giant robot man. Is no, well, it was... The co- accident. <laughs> yeah, that was from the accident. The, ro- the big robot came later. Oh, thank you. I am jumping way fast ahead. No, you're fine. It, it's one of those, like, you piece together it by watching it, and you kind of yeah. work it backwards. Yeah, and it, uh, it's also the same thing, like... And I think this is uh, an element of, like, just noir storytelling, is, again, mm-hmm. that thing where it's just, like, people say pieces... Of what's going on, and then the character will connect it in their head and leave it up to the audience to also make that connection, and then they just move Mm -hmm. on. So it's just, like, there's a lot of stuff that, like, is explained, but they skip the step of letting you know that they just explained it, and it's, it's, Mm. I, listen, I think there's a people, a reason why people have a reverence for noir, even though it was kind of meant to be Pulp Fiction. (laughs) At least that's my understanding. But they eventually head out into a forest. And it's there. I say they. 
but I don't see the point where Dorothy's with him until she is. Does that make sense? Yep. Because I'm very confused and it just works out. But I'll get to that point later. Uh, we catch up to Instro, who's in his father's, uh, there were, I guess, the lab partners, giant robot saying he's trying to do his father's will, which is destroy Paradigm, because Paradigm was evil. And I swear to goodness, I thought that this was a giant spider robot. It does look like it. Multiple arms. Yeah. It is a good misdirect. It's it's another yeah. enemy robot that looks very insect-like compared to humanoid Big O. And Roger does his best to say, hey, you know, this isn't your father's wish. And along comes, and I agree, that's not a bad description, Dr. Wiley. Although Dr. Wiley had a mustache, this guy does not. Uh, Dr. Ginseng or something like that? Ginseng. Mm-hmm. Uh, has his little staff with a circle on top which happens to be the sonic weapon that we probably saw at the beginning with uh, Instro. And he knocks uh, Roger back. We're like, oh no, except then Roger screams out, Big O, and Big O appears. Uh, At no point, and this is always my problem with Power Rangers, does Roger, like, squish the bad guy with his own personal feet. (laughs) Caveat. Uh, because he's nice or whatever. Uh, Roger's like, I've got to stop Instro from destroying this at all costs. Even though Dorothy's like, no, keep him safe. And they have a battle, and Instro reveals what his ultimate strength or whatever is. That's to turn his insect-like arms and legs into a sonic giant weapon. And its design is kind of cool. And really weird at the same time. They just vibrate, it looks like. Don't really know how it works. It's like a bug. They're spinning really fast. Like I think that's why it's like on the four like segmented rings uh-huh. along the torso. Yeah, I'm sure there's some kind of vibrational harmonics as I pull a phrase from nowhere. Sure. <laughs> I will say sci-fi anime powers. <laughs> yeah, like, my mind is making up science as a good. Like, I'm sure there's got to be something like that. I mean, some bugs, it's like what you're hearing is them flapping their wings really hard and stuff mm. like that. So It's powered by memories. It's fine. <laughs> and once again, Big O really isn't able to use his arms to attack. Uh, we actually see Big O take damage. Yeah. Somewhat. Yeah, the with it being taken. Yep. It apart. <laughs> and Roger's like, I can't hold on to this forever. And regardless of how Dorothy, who we can hear... Uh, start playing the piano stops Instro from using his vibrational attack and even though Dr. Ginseng's like keep attacking Roger's like no we've got to stop it here and now and blasts uh, Amadeus' robot so what I'll refer to it as shaky bug and all of his arms go flying off including one I love that that he screams, I promised Dorothy I'd bring you back safe, and then immediately launches missile point blank into him. Yep. <laughs> As you uh, do. But that shows that that was his intent, because I'm assuming those were targeted missiles. Sure. Uh, one of these lovely legs ends up squishing Dr. Insing, or did he shoot himself? 
we'll leave that open for debate. Uh, both. <laughs> both, yeah. And he ends on a scream. Uh, Roger walks up, and apparently Dorothy's been with him the entire time, even though she played the piano, which would imply there's a piano on the big O. <laughs> no, she was playing the piano in the in the the house. And how'd she end up in the robot with him? There's holes everywhere. Yeah, she entered lower down and took the elevator up to him. But she was a great distance away from the robot. This yes, is almost she also, we, she can she run can also have rockets, Bob. Yeah. <laughs> I'm surprised she doesn't have rocket jets in her feet. <laughs> she might. So he, he opens up his mechanical, pivot-driven shield to talk to Instro. Instro uses his super fancy orb slurp opening. <laughs> and he... That's what it looks like! It the, does! You're like not the wrong. Pop. Ugh. Instro's like, I understand now. My father, this wasn't his final mission. I am a piano player. I am a music player. But I can't go back to it. And he tears off his hands. Like, slowly and deliberately. And you're yeah, sitting there like going, his what? Like, stuck, like, to interface with the machine. It, like, bonded yep. with his hands. So he pulls <laughs> and pulls to get loose. And it like, and he says, I'm there no more. Yeah. And it's very sad. It is. Very sad. The next scene, they're like, eh, here's your hands back. It's okay. Yeah. <laughs> they got him new so hands. He can that learn to play the piano again. Like a real person. <laughs> and then it Implying ends. He is, is yeah, also, yeah. he kind of has a flashback to, like, being a human boy, son mm-hmm. of Amadeus. Yeah. So, um, got some so, questions. If we're there, <laughs> because I know Bob said we're kind of at the end, really, the ends with Dorothy does learn how to play like Instro, but may still resort to piano terrorism later on. Um, yeah. I genuinely, when rewatching this, had to stop a couple times. I, I had to rewatch this episode three times. Because each time, memory being the clearly infallible thing that it is for humans, I could have sworn the twist or the ploy at the end, the big reveal was he actually had been uh, Amadeus's son and had been secured in there because of whatever accident happened in the lab. That's what I remembered. I could have sworn... You know, my Berenstain, Berenstein moment. Mm. I'm like, so I, I'm like, am I, am I gaslighting myself? I'm, no one, no one made like a changed episode. This isn't something that was redacted or altered because I don't know, censorship. I really had to go down a rabbit hole for a couple of days just to make sure I was wrong. <laughs> Cause I, I could have sworn that went real differently. I I mean, it could be parts for a lot of the series in my mind does sort of mesh together, like for being lots of individual episodes, it is, you know, it it it, it is it drips with tone like a lot of times in this show, the like tone and the vibe are more important than any plot point. Um, and just like the 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 way it has moments where it totally leans into aping a specific genre. Um so I don't know. Maybe it was a different episode. Maybe it's it's just that you know, yeah. seeing but something yeah. happen on screen and assuming it was telling you one thing when really it doesn't say anything either way. 
I, I won't lie. There's a part of me that's like, hold on, how old am I? When was the 40-year cutoff? Did this really happen? Because <laughs> I won't lie, I was like up real late one night kind of trying to get at least two of the episodes in. And I'm like, hold on, it's only 3 a.m. I'm, I'm fine. <laughs> I'm clearly not losing my grip on reality watching this. I would say of the episodes, I think this one was my favorite. This is a really good one, and this is the one that, like, I, I think a lot of my sort of middle school, high school friends, when we had watched this originally, I think this is the one that a lot of them, it turned out being their favorite as well. This is this is such a strong episode. Yes, I, I agree. I, I would say my experience was a little different than Nick's. People I knew that also watches, like, oh, this was boring as a robot, and, and I'm like, but the humanity. Mm-hmm. I was like, ah, this is one of those episodes that's a barometer for who I want in my life on an intellectual level. It's like, you either see it or you don't. And if you don't, mm. Watching yeah, it's, this is a beautiful episode. Watching this episode just reminded me that I need to buy a copy of um, Pluto, the world's strongest robot. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh-huh. Oh, yeah. Also, just very last thing, um, in the very beginning of the episode, when uh, Roger is like grabs Dorothy and gets her in the car, and they go to see Amadeus so he can get her lessons. I, mm-hmm. Just because we were watching these back to back, they used uh, a little bit of reused animation, which I really don't yeah. want to um, mm-hmm. uh, say anything, you know. Just point that out as like a fault of this show or anything like that because like so much of this show is just so like over animated this show was a flex yeah. for an animation studio as much as it was everything else um yeah you gotta make up for it somewhere but the 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 animation they use of him driving to get Dorothy piano lessons is the exact same animation they were using for him driving to the scene of, uh, you know, where combat is happening and he has to go and like rescue people or fight the monster or whatever. It's just like, it's like, Oh, this is just, this is an action scene for him. This is how emergency situation it is for him to get Dorothy lessons. This is that very scene is the reason I started calling it. Dorothy noted piano terrorist mm-hmm. because it's just so important on the level of like well, you don't understand lives are on the line I have to address this little terrorist in my apartment <laughs> who weighs a metric ton in this very svelte form which also you can tell she wanted to go with him because if she really wasn't convinced going anywhere was worthwhile the Dawson effect would have happened of like oh, oh I'm trying to move a solid brick of human-sized metal yep. on my own. But yes, that, that whole, like, this is so critically important. I'm going to blitz through traffic like I'm going to the scene of a fight just, just to fix the problem. Just such a nice touch. Like, just such, like, a... It's like a meta joke because it is, like, which animation do you reuse for this? It's, I don't know. It's just such a good touch mm-hmm. to me. And the fact that they kept the horns and everything, I'm like, yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. You don't understand. My sleep is on the line. Does that bring us to our last episode? I believe so. so. Episode 7, The Call from the Past. 
The price of fish has skyrocketed, supposedly due to a titan that lives in the sea. Roger goes to investigate, only to bump into Angel. As they explore beneath the water, they discover a city. Well, I will admit, I watched this on YouTube. Okay. So, I'm not 100% sure that the episode was in order. What's this episode, A you start at the end and you work your way toward it? Yep. Yeah. Come back. Are they underwater? Yeah, it started, but it, yes, it starts off with them underwater. Yes. yes. Yeah, you watch the right okay. episode. Perfect. Um, you have Angel. And is she in more episodes between the one where we meet her and this one? I don't think so. I think this is like her first return. But she will appear more. Yeah, she's definitely like around, even if she's not like a major character in the episode. And she is just really upset because they're going to get out of this. And Roger's like, well, if you keep talking, you're going to... No, no, something about smoking. And if you keep smoking, you're going to run out of oxygen because we have limited oxygen. Because we're in a building underwater. (laughs) Look outside, and it's like, whoa, okay. Uh, Then we flash over to Norman, I believe. Mm -hmm. And Dorothy. And Norman's like, you must make supper for... uh, No. Roger likes to supper at the same time each night. I think he's still concerned about the food right now. Because he is set to a certain rhythm. And it's implied that it's been a minute since Roger's been home. Breakfast is at 10. Roger wakes up at noon. This is the, mm-hmm. the schedule. We must adhere to it. This is the way. And we get the lead up that Roger has been looking for said water monster. Figure out what's going on. Uh, he goes to the town. To negotiate but, with the fishermen. Oh, that's right, and they're convinced that there's something bad. It's because they don't understand that the deep, scary monsters that they see are just divers, and yet Roger figures that out right away. But even when they showed, like, this is a scary turn, and there's something there, you're like, what, suit? Yeah, but, like, uh, really fancy ones with the lights, lights. and the... the um propellers and stuff. And I don't feel like we ever find out if they're humans. No, we do find out they're humans. Yeah. Because one comes swimming up and you can see through their helmet. Mm-hmm. Which begs the question, how do they know how to operate that? Neither here nor there. Memories. Um, memories. That's the thing. That's why Angel is down there to try and recover the memories. And I don't know enough of this show to know what do they mean by that. Are they books? Are they... I realize that the Megaduces are... Yes, I will continue that. Uh-huh. Our memories. Somehow made form. I mean, I mean, that's the thing, right? It's like a memory. It could be any of those things. Memory is a catch-all <laughs> term for just like like something from the before time. The angel. Oh, yeah. But for that to be triggered, for Angel to know that that's down there, they have to have some sort of tracking method. Unless she was like, I heard these fishermen are talking about something weird in the sea. Must be a memory. Information... It's kind of think of it like old treasure hunts and rumors, Bob. There's a memory down there under the sea. Why is there a memory there? Well, for some, well, we can't get there, so clearly it has to be there. That would just make sense. But I'm assuming she heard the same rumors as Roger because there's one person who, through a random memory he has, builds a submarine. Mm-hmm. Doesn't know if it works or not because, heaven forbid, he try it. Good lord, he has it there because plot convenience. I'm sorry, whose memory was it? 
His father's. His dad's? Yeah. Yeah, his dad's memory rattling around in his head. I have questions. Uh-huh. Maybe it's a story he taught him. Maybe his dad stared at his forehead so long <laughs> that it got implanted. I mean, it, it could be the kind of thing... You, you can you can always, like, you know, a half-built project that stays around, that outlives mm-hmm. the person, and then the kid sees it, and it's just like, yeah, I could finish that. I can I can finish restoring that 86 Mustang or whatever. Oh, yeah. I, I'm, I just love that. It's so such an ambiguous statement that it can mean these fairly logical things, or there could be more to it, and we just aren't going to know that yet. Mm-hmm. We find out. Is that a season two? Unfortunately. Thing? That is a season two. Yeah. <laughs> okay. I mean, I mean, yeah, that, in, in the context of, like, season one and, like, for all intent, it really doesn't matter. Yes. Yeah, like, it's just that's like the like moral a, of the story. Like, oh, okay, this is a totally normal thing for people to say, apparently. And they all roll with it, so... That's, that's the thing, it's, and that's why I... Are. <laughs> for this show, I genuinely appreciate that. Mm-hmm. They're, like... This is its norm. This this be how it is. This world knew how to set up a mystery that was never meant to be answered. It it yeah. is it is not actually a question. It is simply premise. <clears throat> and it's kind of nice that we aren't lambasted with an answer. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I can understand then why you have the feelings you do for season two. Yeah, you kind of, it's, it's it's a long run. It's nice that, to have a world that's established. Anyway, by tangent, he gets the a submarine, which no one will ever question how he is. It, no, he gets brought out. He agrees Angel to rent the, it. Yeah, and then comes back, and Angel has it. And no one ever asks how they both know how to operate a submarine. They just do. Yeah. Uh, through superpower anime abilities, Roger is able to leap from the dock into the submarine with exquisite aiming abilities. He's Batman, it's fine. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's got Batman skills. He gets in the front seat. And they both go down there because he chooses not to kick her out because they have their established relationship. Kind of. Kind of. He explains she's going down there to look for a memory. He's going down there to look for reason why the fishermen are having their issues, and because he saw the divers go off. Uh, while they're eh, back, I think at some point to the and Blur uh, Norman, mm-hmm. uh, and he's asking her to make the supper because he needs to clean, and you can tell that kind of he's getting worried. They have a weird relationship, Roger and Norman, because you never really see them interact in the episodes that I saw too much. Like it was there, but it was just Butler Esther, I guess. It's definitely not Alfred and not Batman. Yes. Yeah. So, up back to Angel and Roger. They start getting chased by the weird people in their mer suits. And to escape them, Roger crashes into one of the underwater buildings. 
that Angel wasn't too <laughs> yeah, thrilled about. Yeah, so, by the way, they go they go down, and you see that most of the city is underwater. Still on. I don't get yeah, this why there's power. power. In some parts. But yeah, yeah, most of the city has fallen. But, you know, How under the city. How are these buildings? They're really prepped. <laughs> well, it happened 40 know, years ago that they were like, we honestly, need waterproof windows. Well, One yeah, of honestly, best... office buildings and stuff that have really good sealed windows that don't open because he explains how she can't get out because she'll be crushed by the pressure which means they're deep enough where the pressure would be crushing the buildings well yeah that's the thing with skyscrapers is that like they are also built to be pressure vessels but the thing is like they're pressurizing the inside because they're tall enough that outside the pressure drops but like the it's the same concept that they are like um like built to withstand pressure differences like that um, but also, like, when he's talking to the fishermen earlier, don't we see that it's mm-hmm. not actually that deep? Like, there's a bunch of buildings that are and ruins that are still sticking out of the water? Yeah, I'm assuming bit. it's, like, a progressive damage. Like, there may have been an epicenter, which, where we see the dock at, is, like, the furthermost out of it. Mm. Quote a horse, to quote a horse, no, sir. Don't like it. <laughs> I, I will say, too, I regarding the building... I do love the world detail, going back to our fisherman friend, that he says, yeah, there's, when Roger's trying to negotiate the fish price, he's like, what, there's not enough fish? No, it would take however long, he says, ridiculous amount of time to eat all the fish out there because there's so many reefs in the buildings. Well, yeah, it's the same thing. He just says, because in all of those reefs, he, and you're, but the, the buildings are on a screen. It's such a... It's that storytelling, man. It's that very, like, here's the pieces. But it's a very Ikea style of storytelling. They give you all of the pieces, and then you got to put it together yourself, or you won't be able to keep up. Uh-huh. And they have full power, and they have handles that need oxygen to run. But, you know, whatever. Anyway, we'll mm-hmm. get back to the story. The Mer people decide they are going to attack... Uh, and of course, Angel freaks out because, as we've seen before, she just really wants to leave. Roger's like, "No, we're gonna get through this," and he breaks the glass. I think well, it's actually her friend. Yeah, kind of. I believe it was a little before this, but cut back to uh, Norman and Dorothy, and Norman is in a weird like. She's going to go for an underwater dip mm-hmm. outfit saying, mm-hmm. I'm going to go save Roger. And Dorothy's like, I- I'll do it. I don't need uh, oxygen. How about I handle this one? Oh, man. Well, I love that because the oxygen detail comes up when the big O arrives. Mm-hmm. It makes logical sense. I'm like, oh, you <laughs> bless your heart. Once again, we question how deep is this? How much oxygen does the big O carry? Does the big O not have oxygen? Then how does Roger breathe? Uh, I'm assuming. Not the point. Magic. Memories. This is, this is, <laughs> this is my problem with this episode. I'm such, I sit here going. I, I think her implication was more like if something goes wrong, like yeah. okay. you're okay. fucked. <laughs> not only that, there's the other side is the, the way my brain filled that in is since Roger wasn't sure how long he would be. And mm-hmm. I read Norman's activity as the implication that he was trying to ready the big O for potential underwater deployment mm-hmm. is that for power conservation purposes, 
because I'm sure there's some kind of circulation system in there or some oxygen system in there. Mm-hmm. Rather than just keep the battery on and potentially run out of air, she could just be there, and that's one less drain on the powerhouse. Are you reading into an anime? As the person that normally gripes of where's the explanation in certain shows, yes, I am. <laughs> because she makes she makes a good point of it would make logical sense. So there's got to be some degree of intuition there, I, I would assume. I think they just wanted a reason to use Dorothy, who is way cooler than Norman. <laughs> well, yes. So we cut back to Angel and Roger, and the big O shows up. And comes and saves them, while at the same time, a new memory monster has appeared attacking Angel Grove. And... Yeah, because the, the people in the suits were <laughs> investigating whatever is down there, and, and sets something off. And... Looks like a freaking Scooby-Doo monster. Yeah. <laughs> this one, I honestly feel like, I don't know why, and I can't tell you why, but I just insinuate it's not evil. Because it's just like, it looks like a a dog that rolled through mud and moss and now it's just like, oh my god, what? I would also go as far as to say the Rosewater, if I'm right, no, that's not, is his last name Rosewater? The, The Head of Paradigm who we see here and are introduced in other episodes not watched to, for today's viewing, um, is monitoring the whole situation, and he says, ah, it's essentially a beast without its master now, and it doesn't know what to do. Yeah. It's implying, because we we get to see what it actually is, implying that maybe these giant mechs may have a degree of life. They aren't mechs, they're memories. They're memories. Bob, what is a memory? Is it live or is it memor mechs? Not sure. That they're big old poops, megadeuses. Maybe they're born with it. Uh Clara, that's Maybe this one memories. is made plain. <laughs> well, I'm glad we got I there. hit my fancy. <laughs> anyway. Uh Big O comes flying out, which they actually do a good job of showing him jump in water. Mm-hmm. Um, lands on land, drops off Angel, who was saved in his arm. I think there was a little. In, it was it armor lake? His hand compartment. Yeah, it is like yeah. a a little pocket inside one of the fingers. Which, all right, why not? <laughs> of all the things, I'm not questioning that one. Here you go, foop. <laughs> That's where I store my snacks if I'm hungry. Uh, and he goes off to fight uh, the memory, which we find out is a memory later on. At this point, we just think weird monster. Mm-hmm. Uh, this one's known as Dagon. Oh. A f- father of Nightgon. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh, he decides not to use his beams because his fists work just as fine. Beats this thing up. And the memories kind of get ruined. Angel pleads with Roger, like, Not don't do hit it. the head, don't destroy that. Because This is the point where I realize maybe she's not bad. Mm-hmm. And then he does it, he says, Oh, I gotta put you down, old yeller, because someone might misuse you, and can't have mm-hmm. that. Mm-hmm. 
he just loves to destroy old technology. He's like pretty much. Roger Roger is just that scene in Office Space where they take the fax machine out to the field and beat it up with baseball bats just for the catharsis. And you see, I was going to make a different reference. Like, with this, you know, the future, in quotes, do you think someone just had a copy of Last Jedi running around somewhere and he just, yes, destroy the past? Hmm. Or maybe he just wants to, if you invest in the past, then because he has his own mega deuce, it's, uh, it's going to go up in value, you know? So maybe he's just sort of, uh, 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 uh yes. strengthening Big his own portfolio. Coin. Yeah. Deuce coin. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. I insist we call it Deus coin. I am not involved investing in anything called Deuce. Listen, that it's it's a if you buy it, it's a flag. This is appropriate. Ugh. Uh huh. As you know, I love this episode because this takes our characters out of the world that they are comfortable with and puts them in a real kind of threatening situation, considering the whole lack of knowledge that is pervasive in the setting. And puts them in one of the most hostile environments for humans and traps them there. And big O, what I will assume are maintenance doors notwithstanding, is a hell of a way to get out of there without someone in the cockpit. And, you know, you know, somehow securing them in a fairly airtight, I would assume, clasp of the hands. That's what I said. It's got to be like maintenance hatches somewhere on that thing. Sure. So, however, Dorothy got in there is the same way they got in there. Anyway, uh, are we to the end part? Are our final thoughts? I just like do you have more on this episode? Just the last thing is like not only is this an episode where they take them out of like walking around the world and us seeing other parts of the world as it is. But this is an episode where like it is the most navel gazy of all the ones that we've watched because this is an episode like, like we went through it really fast because we skipped the whole part where they're just like sitting there talking about like, well, I don't know. Does it matter if we know what memories are? And she's like, of course we got to find memories. What is life? We're not searching for memory. And it's just like, uh, again, conversation. it it is going back to that. It's going back to that central theme of the show, but also uh, I've known writers who use subtlety and they're all cowards. <laughs> I guess for me with these yeah. episodes that we selected, this is the first one that really drilled home on whether people want to recover their memories or not. Yeah. Just really tackling that, that sort of philosophical question head on. I mean, the parent company is definitely wants them to make stuff and profit off of. Mm-hmm. Oh, I hope they get 20 cents because they are a pair of dimes. <laughs> <laughs> I'm dead now. Bob, Thank I'm, you. I'm, I'm going to petition on social media to have you canceled. <laughs> <laughs> you have forced my hand. But, uh... I wish, I feel like the conversation about memories would have led to more of the episode, or season, I guess. Like, I feel like that's really, uh, 
strong point to the whole show. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like it, it's. I don't. Here's the thing: is like that question for being a central theme. I feel <sighs> like it's, it's also again more premise than um, like something that the show ever takes sides on. Like that, I think that's part of why like you can skip over that whole part of the episode because like the the point of the question is that the answer doesn't matter because like whether you have your memories or not you do have to live in the present right and like that's actually the point is that the answer to that question is meaningless so it's just like i i think every episode does kind of address it in its own way but again it, it's in this very like critical reading overriding kind of way and not just a lot of people having conversations it's not a sit and dwell it's a conversation that would naturally occur yeah, it's yeah. a it's a, a practical exam on answering that question. You would be like, so what'd you think of the recent movie? They'd be like, what'd you think of the stuff we didn't remember? Oh, doesn't matter, okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Did you put that token in the turnstile? What's a turnstile? Ah, yes. Moving on. Do you care if it falls? What, the Roman Empire? The what? I read about that yeah. once. I will say that this conversation kind of, even though it's fed to us in a sort of piecemeal sense until we get to the real meat of it, which yeah, subtlety is for cowards. <laughs> um, it did reveal one or give us one thing to all ask questions about that. I don't think anyone did. How about them scars? On oh, Angel's Angel? back. Yeah. Where he's like, Oh yeah, she's named Angel. <laughs> How does he know what an angel is? I mean, surely a, <laughs> any kind of book still exists, unless it's from 40 years prior. Like he sleeps half his day. Yeah. yeah. That's what he does now. If you recall in the first episode, it clearly shows you at one point he served in the uh, state-run police service under Dostin. That's true. That's true. Mm-hmm. Maybe maybe he does audiobooks. He listens to them while he sleeps, and he gets that uh, subliminal braid. But he'd have to remember what an audible fish. Oh no! We we have to like for me. At what point is did technology fail? We have knowledge of androids. They've been building androids. What else have they built? And we're to these... your point, Bob. What point does did they learn lot uh, language in forty maybe, years? Maybe that's one of those inferred knowledge things. With a lot of amnesia, they still have basic. Mm-hmm. Knowledge. Right. They just don't have memories. Actually, that's, um, that's kind of memory. yeah, deep world, real world details, significant details. I think it's lost. Specifically on that point of language, um, I did watch another episode because I went down a much smaller rabbit hole with this show, um, and specifically trying sure. to remember anything about season two. Um, and I do watch another episode where uh, they hold up like a piece of like scrap paper, like a piece of evidence from an explosion or something. And they're just like, it has some indecipherable letters on it. We don't know what it's supposed to mean. And you look at it and it's just French. Yeah. Just everyone's just forgotten the French. Well, (laughs) how how much to discuss about what that was also really implying. As far as everyone in paradigm knows, the rest of the world the gone. only thing yeah. that exists. Yeah, yeah. It's just them. That absolutely doesn't play into a thing in season two at all. <clears throat> but yeah, like, like, 
yeah, I don't know. You can't read into the specifics of like, okay, when does memory cut off and go in? Because like, yeah, it is just going to all fall apart at that point. So I was going to say, I think that fills into um, oh, even in shows now. Oh, I conveniently remember this. Like the guy having his father's memory of a submarine. Yeah. Is that the only submarine that's ever been built? And then how would they know to operate it? Yeah, it it's why can people drive cars still? It, it, yeah, it, it's it's I don't know. We we could ask that question all day and not get anywhere. But yeah, exactly. It's it's not a main point. It's just a tangent. Mm. It, it, me, it's it's a, a lingering. Yeah. Uh, that's what tangent means. I forgot forty years ago. Anyway, <laughs> overall. I think if I had known the memory stuff more outside of 1 and 7, I feel like it would be a stronger connection for me. I feel like that would have been a good driving story. If that makes sense. Yeah. It came across more with the episodes. It was Man Monster as opposed to, or Robot Monster fights, which they were great. I love the art style of it. Uh, Roger was actually a decent protagonist. Yeah. Uh, Dorothy I loved. Norman was comedic relief, I guess. Yeah. Like, he he's great, but he's also, like, not, he's not super a uh, character. Yeah. Definitely not Alfred. I, I guess I, I feel like that this show just gets compared to Batman the Animated Series because of the art style. I did not get a, outside of he has a butler, I didn't get the Batman vibe. He didn't write terror in the night. He didn't, I mean, he... It is a very generalized one-to-one. He is a well, definitely well-dressed. I don't know if he's really rich, because money is kind of not discussed heavily here. It certainly exists, and or how much he has. And considering he, at some point it's discussed, he lives in a bank. But in the what first episode, they have the money in the briefcase that he cared about. Right. And, and while he's and definitely... And they're stealing the plates. Well, that, yes, and I'm, I'm saying, I, it, it is clearly defined that it exists, but he, how much he has, for example. So arguing the, well, he's he's a rich guy. Like I can't say he's a rich guy, but I can say he certainly dresses the part and he... Has the butler. Exactly. The has, butler thing screams rich to me. Yeah. He has all black. He has the car that armors itself. So, you know, no one can get in there. Having that, that's the thing. When you look at it, like, he's the guy with all the gizmos. He's the guy who like, uh-huh. like comes from wealth. Even if we never actually see that really, like we never see. Are him there other negotiators? I don't think we've I ever don't... seen one. Really? He yeah, might, I don't he... think another one comes up. Making, so he may just be a very specialized job that gets paid well. Being a job creator—that's another sign of being a rich guy. Um, yeah, but also like the way that he's like, like he's a negotiator, but he's also very detective-like. Like he's always getting down yes. to the bottom of things. Like he's kind of that mm-hmm. part of Batman. Yeah, it's it's those very surface level. Uh, that's what I was trying to think of earlier. Hmm. Surface level comparisons. Also, for those in the know, Sunrise, which produced this, or animated this, animated several episodes of Batman the Animated Series. So, 
they aped the style from that as well. Yeah, like they had gotten... What you can see. They had gotten used to doing that style and just kind of kept going on it for a while. Mm-hmm. So, it, it, when he's called Anime Batman, mm-hmm. it, it is tongue-in-cheek more than direct one-to-one. Gotcha. So, here's my question. We, Dorothy, our Dorothy Wainwright, full name, show her respect. Uh, yes. Wh- how does she rank on our list of Android anime waifus? Because now we have two, so we can begin ranking them. <laughs> I will I remember always. the others. Uh, Melfina from Outlaw Star. Oh, yes. Oh, my goodness. Hmm. Uh, I will have to place Malfina above. Okay. I I would say I agree with you, Bob, but only because Malfina is such a cinnamon roll with a very expressive personality. I And while I appreciate our Dorothy being completely different, it's just that, like, minute detail that makes it the difference for me. It's it's almost the it wind by the who would you want to go out with for a drink with. For me it's let me age myself. Uh, there was an older sitcom called Small Wonder. Uh-huh. Oh wow, yeah. Yeah. And this girl is a robot that was built by the guy and it's played off she's his daughter. Uh-huh. But everything she does is very robotic. And with these four episodes, Dorothy is very, like, every time she turns her head, you hear, which I I get that they're playing for a reason. They're making her very robotic because she's an android, and that's probably Mm -hmm. why I would place her a little bit lower, because then she's a robot, not an android. Mm. This kind of ranking list very much depends on... What kind EP, of person you're preference? into? Yeah, very much mm-hmm. your personal preference, um, and sexuality. I bet plays into it too. <laughs> oh, I'm sure. I don't know. <laughs> I don't. I don't know that. That is true. I'd, fair. I don't think I'd bang either of them, but <laughs> I appreciate that I would have a better time with Malfina than listening to Dorothy play the same rendition of Mozart the twenty seventh time, thinking it's been five minutes, woman. Why are you playing so fast? And, and yet you say that, and Dor- Dorothy's piano terrorism is absolutely the kind of attitude I am drawn to. Say, oh, hmm, you know, listen, I get it, but at the same time, I am here. <laughs> like, hmm, hmm. But no. Malfina, I, I think for me, it's Malfina, I, I feel the need to protect her, not necessarily hmm. idolize it's like, she deserves to be happy. Our Dorothy seems perfectly content with the way things are. Mm. All right. Uh, speaking of rankings, how about our opening theme? Heck yeah. <laughs> Can I throw in that when we were discussing the opening theme in our private chat away from Bob, mm-hmm. <laughs> that... I really remembered the, the only theme I remembered because it's been so long since I rewatched this was the Toonami version. Mm-hmm. Explain to me the Toonami version. Is there the a different Toonami version? Version? The, yes. But oh god, I need Google, to Google this. Well, yeah, YouTube it, and I will tell you, it. I learned this today, and I'm zero percent surprised. 
surprised that it was inspired by the, the, the theme, not the visuals, were inspired by Flash by Queen for Flash Gordon. Yep. And as soon as I read that, I'm like, oh yeah, that 100% tracks. I never had the one-to-one comparison in front of me before. I never gave it much more thought, but yeah. Uh, so how many are we at right now? Because I'm slow and can't read numbers. I think we're at eight. Yes, this is going to be number eight. Uh, our number one is Outlaw Star Through the Night. Number two, Cowboy Bebop with Tank. Number three, Trigun with HT. Number four, G Gundam with Flying Through the Sky. Number five, Yu Yu Hakusho with Smile Bomb. Six, Agretsuko with I can't read that katakana. Uh, seven, Arcane with Some Imagine Dragons bullshit. Uh, so I, I, I love everyone here. Go on. If they scream big O at me one more time, I'm going to punch the TV screen. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so no, this, this, this is around, I would say, fifth for me. Very, no, very, you. yes, very fun, very great, but. It, it, Better in small doses. Oh, yes. Oh, oh yes. wow, Bob, you put that higher than I would have. Like. Yeah, this is going above okay. Yu Yu Hakusho? Yes. Okay. Really? Can't forget it. Sorry. Oh. Bob, we might have to fight. <laughs> <laughs> no, like I I've been rolling. I like it because it has it has a beat. I will give it that. It has a beat that gets you moving. And that's what I'm looking for. And they do introduce the characters. Uh and but it's just repeating the same line except for occasionally stopping for something else quick. And then back to Big O. Yep. I wrestled with this for like the last two days thinking about it. <laughs> and I I was really prepared to put uh, Big O at eight. What? It was no. Like yeah. the top of my yeah. list. <laughs> really? Yeah. Wow, we're all over the place with this one. Uh-huh. Just for, for whatever reason, it's just like... The, the the actual intro for the show, at least as it's shown, because I watched mine on High Dive, and I was like, oh, it doesn't do anything for me really one way or the other. It's actually enjoyed the Toonami version better. And I still, like, it really doesn't do anything for me. <laughs> so I was like, I guess, like, just going to shove it right under under Arcane and just call it a day and not ever discuss it again. I will gladly remember <clears throat> the name of the show. It definitely did the trick for me. <laughs> I mean, you, you make a very good point. <laughs> Okay, but just I'm um, real quick, just imagining where like you know already been in the karaoke room for like two and a half hours, and everybody's like a, at least two and a half drinks in, and somebody wants yeah. to put on Big O, and everybody's just screaming Big O together. There's something there. I don't know if I would yeah, listen okay. to it any other time, but that specific. Oh, that's I would take that over Imagine Dragons. Okay, you you yeah. Okay, when you put it like that, yeah, I would definitely put it just above Arcane, but under Agretzka. Yeah, just because I feel like I'd have to be ten sheets to the wind to just fully not care going into it hard. Um, I feel like it would just give me a headache. Okay. Like, oh, yeah. it's this song. <laughs> so next we look at uh what is our uh star ranking and are you going to uh watch any more do you think? Uh 
I would give this, after our discussion, it definitely rose for me. Okay. I haven't talked it through with you guys, because initially, I was going to give it a five. But hearing your guys' passion makes me realize there is something there. However, it's not for me. I probably won't watch it again, but I would give it six and a half to seven out of ten. Okay, okay. That's pretty good. Yeah. This is kind of what I was saying. Like, I think this is a show that, like... There is a specific demographic who loves the, like, noir storytelling and the, like, so much is up to interpretation because so little is said and explained. Um, And I think this is a show that, like, gets more respect than it does fans because, like, the people who this is catnip for is a much smaller demographic. So, like, I totally get it. All right. Um, Hey, how's how's the Cowboy Bebop rewatch going? Or, or or whatever well, we're at now. It's still, 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 yeah, it's still yes. on hold. I've actually okay. had a busy couple weeks, so I haven't watched it. I need to finish Outlaw Star before restarting Cowboy Bebop because I really did like Outlaw Star a whole lot. Outlaw Star is really good. <laughs> I know. I feel so bad because in in how long it took me to actually start watching Big O was because of, like, I'm just going to finish Outlaw Star <laughs> again. <laughs> oh, why have we not just been uh, watching? Star probably... Why haven't we just been watching Outlaw Star together? We could just make that a watch. Yeah, I was gonna say we could just be rewatching the whole of Outlaw Star for the rest of the season. Oh my god! <laughs> I'm sure that you guys have put other great shows in this list. Yes. Uh, oh dear Lord! Please, well, oh, please, oh, please. <laughs> you know, probably. <laughs> and some very I mean, interesting ones as well. I'm sure. Bob, I can show, shoehorn JoJo's in here if you really want me to. Oh, that's okay. No, it's okay. That time will come. The I, half of a episode I saw. I thought of something great else. Show as we were posing. That we torture should, dance is your favorite, and you know it. I I thought of something else that we should shoehorn in here somewhere, but I don't remember what it is off the top of my head. So you're lucky oh, for no. now. I mean, oh, okay. Season two. Season two. <laughs> But speaking of the big list, I believe it is that time. It is that time. Wait, do we get to sing the big list theme? (laughs) Uh, Do we have a big list list theme? Big list. We just be like big list. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yep. Yep. Okay. (laughs) Um. So Big O was our first show in the late night tsunami tier. Uh, Mm. We have one, two, three, four other shows. Your choices are This Ain't No Zaku Boy Do do Cyborg's Dream of Existential Philosophical Conundrums The Secret Ingredient is Love and Soylent Green Listen, growing up was hard enough before the space pirate robot or the space pirate robot sparted out of my forehead. <laughs> the last one I don't know what's going to be great, but I think it's time to knock out a love story with Soylent Green. Oh, boy. Okay. All right. <laughs> you fool. <laughs> uh, we will be watching Full Metal Alchemist Brotherhood. That's the new one? That is the newer of the two. Newer. Yeah, at this point, it's, it's kind of old, too. <laughs> Okay. To, to give you just a very shorthand answer, Bob, this is the closer to and follows the source material than 
the original anime Full Metal Alchemist. Yeah. Okay. Oh, I'm looking forward to love stories and people eating. Oh, yeah. <clears throat> A giant purple people eating? <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, all right. Well, with that settled, uh, I think it is about time that we get out of here. So uh, until next time, uh, thank you for joining us, everybody. It's showtime. Deep in the Weebs is a show by Chuck, Nick, Joe, and Bob. Our theme music is Kawaii Friends by C. Cotty 3. You can find our show on YouTube or subscribe to the audio-only version on iTunes or wherever podcasts are served. in the name of God. Ye not guilty. Somebody's a Conan fan. Uh, oh, oh yeah, O'Brien, he's great. That? <clears throat> yeah, right. <laughs> but they explained that. Yeah, it's... Super well. The creator essentially curbed this from Conan the Barbarian. Oh. I just nope. assumed it was like um, the robot being like, are you worthy enough to pilot me? Yeah, okay. <laughs> and I saw it as he, they're scanning all the bad guys, like, you're not guilty, and then he kills them. Uh-huh. <laughs> I thought it was some, like, uh, just like Phoenix Wright, not only did he share an art style, but Roger is also a, a lawyer, which is why his robot yeah. says that. <laughs> He's a lawyer, right? A <laughs> Negotiators are lawyers? Negotiator, lawyer, I mean... <laughs>